You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be back, David. I'm sorry I missed last week, but I had a little travel schedule kind of conflict going on, and I really wanted to talk about what had happened um, 10 days ago uh, when I had the opportunity to argue in Georgia's Supreme Court uh, as we continue our fight for in-state tuition for DACA recipients. Now, I know, David, I know you probably didn't listen to that because you probably better things to do in your life, <laughs> but it was live-streamed, and it is, at least it will soon be, on the Georgia Supreme Court's website, uh, which is kind of exciting. I mean, I guess it's there for all posterity to see how bad I did. It was videoed as well. It's not just audio. It's a video. Unlike the U.S. Supreme Court where they audio tape everything, but they don't video it. You get to see all my reactions, me picking my nose, and all that kind of cool stuff that's going on. No, there. surely you didn't do that. <laughs> I hope I didn't do that while I was there. That would be really embarrassing for my great-grandchildren to see. Uh, but, you know, David, uh, arguing in front of seven justices is very different from doing a closing argument in front of a judge or a jury or even arguing at the Court of Appeal, which is usually three justice, three judges. They're only justices at the Supreme Court. They're never ju- justices at the Court of Appeals, by the way. It's a big deal for these guys. Uh, and uh, so for me, it was my first time in, the, in front of that many judges, the first time at the Supreme Court of Georgia, considering I've actually never filed any other Georgia case, it's a unique I went away to the Supreme Court. i, I got to ask, did Ella J. bring out their best folding chairs for I the gotta t- i got to tell you, it was really funny because uh, the I've not been in the Georgia Supreme Court chambers in, since I was sworn in 20, 25 years ago here, but they're old. Okay, They're old. They're kind of, kind of beat up. It's kind of... Ella J., that county, um, Gilmer, has a brand-new tri-county courthouse. Hmm. It's the I think it's called the Appalachian Circuit or something like that. And it's huge, and it's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> and they even had a bench for the seven justices. And the, one of the clerks was telling me, the Supreme Court clerk said, I think this is a nicer court place than our, than our actual courtroom. Huh. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, but it was Apple Festival in, in Gilmer County, oddly enough. But what, a, what, a, what a strange coincidence. Uh, and afterwards, a cool thing that I'd never happened before, there was two cases that were argued. It was my case. Then there was a criminal case involving uh, the Fourth Amendment that was argued. And uh, what was interesting is afterwards, for the people that argued, for the, for, for the judges, for the staff, there was a barbecue lunch. Son of a gun. Put on by the circuit. So I had, ju- I had lunch with one of the justices. Actually, the one that asked me the hardest questions is probably going to rule against me. We had lunch together. <laughs> uh, really nice, a, a nice man, delightful person. Uh, I mean, I think uh, we disagree on what the law says, but that's okay. And, uh, but I had never had, you know, just fun. Just, just a great talk, great time with the justices. And took our pictures with them. Uh, <laughs> it was great. It was just really quite the... Come on down. Come on down. It was like a, let's have fun here. Um, I had a, a number of my, my plaintiffs, my clients were there. I think we had about 15 or 20 of the plaintiffs, plus another 30 or 40, about 50 of our, our kids up there. Uh, I tried to make sure they didn't protest too much. You know, <laughs> don't make too much noise. This is the courthouse. Uh, respect for the process and all that. But, you know, this case, this argument wasn't actually about in-state tuition. Uh, obviously, our lawsuit when we filed it was about in-state tuition, but it has devolved into an argument about whether or not we can actually bring the lawsuit at all. Um and it goes back to a, uh, a doctrine called sovereign immunity. Sovereign immunity, for want of a better description, means you can only sue the king if the king lets you sue him, basically, the sovereign. Uh, and uh, doctrine of sovereign immunity has been part of Georgia law for over 100 years. 
but was more carefully delineated and expanded in the 1991 version of the Georgia Constitution. Did you know the Georgia Constitution is only from 1991? Did you know that? Were well, you here when they voted on it? Yeah, I was here. Uh, it's been changed so many times. Yeah. Well, the 91 was the last major revision. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a complete rewrite of the Constitution. Uh, and the, the argument itself became actually bigger than I thought it would be. Uh, my argument was really quite simple. Uh, we're, we're bringing what's called a declaratory judgment action. Basically, we're trying to say, hey, uh, judge, tell the state what the words lawful presence means. For our purposes, what we're essentially arguing is the Board of Regents policy uh, on in-state tuition says specifically that you cannot get in-state tuition unless uh, you meet all the other requirements, of course. I mean, there's a lot of requirements. Uh, and you have, quote, lawful presence in the state. Lawful presence is different from lawful status in immigration law, and that's you know something we have to explain to the judge once we go back to the court if we end up getting that far. But our argument is that consistent with the federal interpretation of what DACA is, DACA recipients have lawful presence. It's, for us, it's really quite, it's really that simple uh, that they have lawful presence. And uh, so we filed a what's called a declaratory judgment action, asking the judge to declare what the law is. We weren't asking him for damages. We weren't asking him for penalties. We weren't asking him in order to say to do anything other than to declare what the law is. And we believe that once he declares what the law is, if it's in our favor, that the Board of Regents will then say, okay, great, uh, we, we can give you in-state tuition now. Uh, the Board of Regents could actually make this whole lawsuit go away if they would just change the words in their policy from lawful presence to legal status. And they haven't, and they've known this for three years. We've talked about it for three years. So here's what's curious to me, David. If they know they can avoid any lawsuit at all by simply, on their own, they don't need to go to the legislature, they can do it on their own, changing the words lawful presence to, legal sta- to lawful status, why don't they do it? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Why don't they do it? Well, my, I think the only answer to that question is because they want to give in-state tuition to DACA kids. They want to. But they don't want to be seen as doing so. They want to be seen as having ordered to do so by the courts. So they're looking for a way out. They're looking, they're looking for the courts to come in and say, oh, no, law, you use the words lawful presence. That includes DACA. And I believe at that moment they go, yep, you're right. We'll have to give them in-state tuition. Sorry, state legislature, sorry. That's just the way it is. Life's tough. <laughs> Let's go. And that's what, I, that's what I see happening. But when we got to the court, after we filed the lawsuit, we filed the lawsuit in August of 2013, after the board had changed its policy, after the DACA came out. And what was interesting is when the Superior Court of Fulton County finally ruled on the case in February, of, uh, in June of 20, May or June of 2014, uh, the Supreme Court had in the interim made a decision on the issue of sovereign immunity. Now, before this decision, we were fine. I mean, we, we filed the right lawsuit at the right place at the right time. Uh, and the law simply changed underneath underneath us. At least that's that's what the government's argument is. And what the government's argument is, the Supreme Court case in called uh, Coastal Waterways case, essentially said you can't bring a, de- a a declaratory judgment action seeking injunctive relief because in Coastal Waterways they were seeking the court to order something. And so when the Supreme Court said you can't bring an injunctive relief case because the state has not authorized you, the Constitution, the legislature of Georgia has not authorized an injunctive relief case against this agency, you're gone. Okay. We weren't seeking injunctive relief. So we appealed. The, we, we thought the Superior Court judge was wrong. We appealed to the Court of Appeals. We lost there, but they didn't have our argument. And they, I don't think they understood our argument. Our argument is really quite simple. 
Injunctive relief is is an action. It requires the state to be ordered to do something. And one of the reasons that that, that injunctive relief exists, I mean, that declaratory that um, sovereign immunity exists, is to not force the state to do things that they don't want to be forced to do. You know, the judge is ordering to do to do something, uh, and we weren't doing that. I mean, we were just asking for what the law says. So we argued that the Declaratory Judgment Act, which is an act, it's actually a law in Georgia called the Declaratory Judgment Act implicitly gives us the authority to move forward because it doesn't bar lawsuits against the state for any reason. Now, what the Supreme Court said in the Coastal Waterways case is that sovereign immunity requires an express waiver. That is, the, it must, the declaratory judgment action must act, must say, we expressly waive sovereign immunity in this, under this act. And they say it doesn't say that, so you lose. That's kind of the argument, the pushback I got from one of the justices. Um, but we also argued an alternative theory that under the Administrative Procedures Act, which does specifically waive sovereign immunity against state agencies, uh, that and, and incorporates the Declaratory Judgment Act, that we can go forward. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, and really is something that we had not really briefed uh, in, in its entirety, because I don't think either I or the government understood this issue until one of the other justices said this. The government's position has always been that the Board of Regents is not subject to the Administrative Procedures Act, even though they're an administrative agency, because they are a constitutionally created entity. I don't know if you knew this or not. So under the Georgia Constitution, the Board of Regents exists separately from the state legislature. It's, so the Board of Regents is not created by the state legislature, it's created by the Constitution. So their argument is, well, it's not subject to the Administrative Procedures Act. But there are two Supreme Court cases that say that the Board of Regents is a state agency for purposes of the Administrative Procedures Act. The government's response to the questions from this judge, well, well, we're not subject to it, so we haven't followed it. And so in reply, I said, it's not our problem that the Board of Regents has ignorantly and incorrectly not followed the Administrative Procedures Act when it clearly applies to them. The fact that they haven't done so is not our problem. Today we're here arguing because the Administrative Procedures Act applies against state agencies. This court has said that the Board of Regents is a state agency, and that act specifically waives sovereign immunity. Now, the one justice who I think is against has said, well, that administrative rules only applies when an agency makes administrative rules, and the Board of Regents hasn't complied with the APA. And our response was, so? So we're to be punished because they didn't follow the law? Then one of the other justices jumped in, and he said, well, the way I read the Administrative Procedures Act, it just says rules. There's two provisions under rules. One is rules created by an agency, and one is just rules. So under either, under the, under, okay, let's say they didn't follow the APA, but under the other provision, they don't have to follow the APA. They just created a rule, but they're still subject to the APA. So it's going to be really interesting how it comes out. We could win the case. Now, the one justice who was kind of opposed to us said, now, Mr. Cook, you're arguing that, you know, my position, you know, he basically said, I don't think you have jurisdiction here, but we issued another decision late earlier this year that says you can bring a mandamus action against the individual members of the Board of Regents. Now, what is a mandamus action? A mandamus action is a right under common law, not barred by sovereign immunity, that says you go to a federal, you go to a state court judge and say, look, I want this, these people, they're government officials. They owe me a duty. Under the law, they owe me a duty. I want you to order them to do it okay, under the statute. And, he, and the justice said, well, you can bring a mandamus action against the individual members of the board if they're not following the law. True. We, I think we probably could do that, but we didn't really want to do that because, one, it's harder. you got to sue all the individual members of the Board of Regents and bring them all in with all their lawyers. 
Two, the way I read the law says they have to have intentionally violated the law. A little unclear whether they did that or not. And three, it's just going to take a lot longer. And it's just easier to say a deck action. I'm going to get the same result, right? Either way, I'm looking for the same thing and the same result. Except one, I'm going against the state agency, and one, I'm going against the officials. And the justice's reasoning was, well, they have to. Pay. If you sue them individually, they have to pay for it, and therefore sovereign immunity is unimplicated. Boy, you, you know, obviously. So here's what's going to happen: either the justices are going to rule for me and say that I do in fact have jurisdiction to file to go against a declaratory judgment action against the state under the Administrative Procedures Act. Or they're going to deny me, and I'm going to take go file, and I'm going to file a new case against each member of the board of regents individually in their personal capacity. So either way, the lawsuit doesn't die. Now, this is what's interesting: we hadn't thought about doing that, the mandamus action, but we're certainly actually now preparing that mandamus action to move forward. So if the Supreme Court does rule against us, the next day we're going to file a mandamus action. Against so you the have state. to have four justices that agree with you to. Well, that's what's clear. We had there's seven of them sitting up there. Three of them asked no questions. Hmm. The three senior justices asked no questions. The other four, the four less senior judges, asked all the questions. Now, it's interesting that of the three that didn't ask questions, two of them, Justice Hunstein and Justice Benham, have written the um, decl- have written the sovereign immunity decisions that rule against us. So. I would presume they're going to be against us on this, although they were very cordial and they smiled a lot and they nodded a little bit, but I don't know. Hmm. Uh, so I could lose 4-3. I could win 6-1. I could lose 7-0. I, honestly, I, have, I literally have no reading of this court. Let's take a break here on the first segment here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Now, David, we're talking about this oral argument at the Supreme Court of Georgia and uh, I, to me, it was it was really fascinating to have the inter, interplay. One of the justices asked me, the one that was kind of I thought kind of against us, um, at least our position. Maybe maybe he was just probing me. Who the heck knows? Um, but he said this, Mr. Cook. In in our case in the mat, in, in, in it's called um, in rewrecked or something. I can't recall the name of the case right now. But didn't we say X? And I was thinking read that case like four times. I'm sitting there oral arguing with the guy, and I don't believe he's right. 
I don't think he's right. I think his his what he's telling me the case says it doesn't say that. I mean, I but I, I didn't have the case in front of me, and I'm well, judge. You know, if it says that, then it says that. But there's nothing we can do about that. But I'm not sure that case really says that. So when I got done with my part, and the government stands up and they pummeled that guy, they pummeled him for 20 minutes. I have, I'm going to go back and watch that because I think he was just pummeled by the court. I, I I read that case. I mean, it's only like four pages long. I read it while he was talking. And it doesn't say what that judge says. It, it, there's one sentence that insinuates that's what he said, but it's not the holding of the case. And so I go back up and say, Justice, you said the case said this. That case doesn't say that. That case says X, Y, Z. So I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but that case doesn't say what you think it says. I felt like the guy from The Princess Bride. Inconceivable. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Um, so it was just, it was really interesting to get that interplay back and forth with the justices. And, of course, they're, they're arrayed in front of you. This is, and you're in the middle. They're arrayed in front of you. So one guy's way on the left, then one guy's way on the right asking a question. You go back to there, there's a guy in the middle, and you're going back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I could see how people get hooked. There are actually professional, let's call them professional lawyers, who specialize in Supreme Court arguments. I could see how that could be addictive. I mean, it's like a game. I mean, you have to know, every, you don't know what they're going to ask. You have to know every, you have to know the holdings, the rulings, the facts of every case you cite that supports you, and every case that's against you. And you have to anticipate what the government's going to argue, and you have to be able to answer a question by any of those at the drop of a hat. That's why that provision was so confusing to me, because it was like, I don't think that case says that. I just don't think it says that. I'm pretty sure it doesn't say that. So, uh, I was, uh, I was fascinated by the, by the argument in the process. And we had a great meeting outside with the kids. A lot of press were there. We did a little press conference and, uh, the kids were all there. And it was just, it, every time I talk about this and I see this, it literally just breaks my heart. Because these kids are taking one, two, or maybe if they're lucky, three classes at a time. They're paying a thousand dollars a credit hour. Which they would pay for an entire semester, or fifteen hundred they pay for an entire semester of school. Uh, they're paying two, three thousand dollars just to take one or two classes, they, and they're working full time. So they're paying. Ta- it's not like they're not paying taxes. So the the question I have for the for for the politicians. Oh, and by the way, I got some serious hate stuff out of this. Huh. Serious neo Nazi kind of stuff. Neo Nazi websites uh, making fun of me, taunting me. I mean, seriously bad crap from really what appear to be crazy butt people. Okay, uh, So much so my partner was concerned mm. about it. And he started carrying his concealed weapon again. <laughs> good news is I have a concealed weapon, so I'm, I'm good to go. Um, but I'm just, uh, it, it just, the crazies came out of the woodwork. But I asked these people, why don't you give them NSA tuition? And there was an interesting uh, politician, I think, I think it might even have been Sam Olin's, well, I don't think they should get into tuition because they're here illegally and they broke the law. Well, first of all, the kids didn't break the law. You had to, to break a law, to enter illegally, you have to have some sort of knowledge. Uh, we always require knowledge of those who break our laws, and kids don't have any knowledge of breaking the law. Once they're here, there's no law to break. I mean, they're just undocumented. It's, there's no criminal law they're breaking here. And what's interesting is these kids all have work permits, so they're all working. Which means if they're working and they're using a, a federal government number, they have social security number, what are they doing if they're working? They're paying taxes. So they're paying into the tax base. They're paying social security. They're paying property taxes, which fund our schools uh, in Georgia. And they're paying income tax, which fund our, our, our state schools in Georgia. 
their parents have paid taxes for years, the vast majority of them. To say they don't pay taxes is just ignorant. Vast majority pay taxes. So what's the difference between the undocumented kid and his parents who are undocumented, who has federal government work, others who's working and paying taxes and wants to go to school as in-state tuition, who meets every other criteria for going in-state tuition? Okay, nobody's asking these kids. No, they're not demanding in free tuition. That's why all oh, they're demanding free tuition. Nobody wants free tuition. They're asking for in-state tuition, which they're paying for through their taxes. Compare that to the poor family in South Georgia, poor white family in South Georgia, uh, who are living on welfare, who pay no taxes, whose kids barely squeak by in school, um, but because they go to a crappy school, they got a B, B average, and they get a Hope Scholarship. They have contributed one. They don't, and they don't work during school. They don't contribute one dime to the state. What's the difference? Well, they were born here. Okay. So really your only reason for not giving institution these kids is because they weren't born here. And what's, what's really sad is the vast majority of these kids have siblings, younger siblings, who work. So I've got one plaintiff. She's 21, has DACA. Her sibling is a U.S. citizen. She's 20. Sibling gets to go to school on a, on a on Hope Scholarship and in-state tuition. She gets nothing. Can you tell me? So the only re- so I, the only reason I can figure out at this point for denying in-state tuition is punishment. It's punishment. We're going to punish you for the sins of your parents. That's that's I can't barely any other reason. Well, I, only my opinion. <laughs> I'd love to hear uh, your opinion on this. So uh, it's like everything else. It's the same. My my opinion is the same opinion I've had. For for this and for many other things, and that's ignorance. Um, just and they don't want to learn. The people that are opposed don't want to hear the. You know, there are two sides to the coin, right. and they don't want to look at the other side. They just want, I'm right, you're wrong, and it doesn't matter what you say. My mind's made up. Don't confuse me with facts. Uh, exactly right. And you know, this is a scary part about our nation because it's not just immigration. It's our medical situation. It's Obamacare. It's our economy. It's you, you name a subject, and it all boils back down That's to the ignorance. same thing. Yeah, it, is it people? Ch- and, and it's and it's an intentional, willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 an ignorance based upon perception, and not reality. Um, and that's why we can't fix a problem like immigration in our country because perception is overruling their these people's realities of what really is going on. Um, and what's sad is when you see it in our politicians, people that have been elected to represent us. <laughs> you would hope that they're more that they are the best of us, right? That that was that was the, that was the founding fathers' ideal. The founding fathers' ideal was that. These people were the best of us. Uh, people running for office, uh, you wanted to make sure they were mature, so they were over a certain age. Um, you wanted to make sure that they were um, uh, capable of, uh, of, of cognizant thought. I read this morning, for example, Bill Bennett sends out an email every day, kind of the Founding Fathers thing. And today he quoted um, the Federalist Papers. David, I can show you what he posted today, and there aren't thirty percent of the population of America today could understand what he what he was saying. What Thomas Jefferson was writing there, he was not that he wasn't writing English. His English, I mean, his English, right? <laughs> but it was such a high level of English, and it, it it required a level of understanding of history, and of philosophy, and of law, 
and of uh, politics and of religion that 70% of Americans simply no longer possess. They just don't possess it. Let me ask this, and I know that in the Constitution it says it's never addressed, but do you think our founding fathers ever anticipated politics or a politician are, and they weren't even quote-unquote politicians, you'd put them under a representative, be it state, be it local, state, or federal, that that was to be their job forever and ever. Well, I don't think that's, I think nobody thought that was the case. I mean, you look at the example of the Founding Fathers. Um, I mean, they, they were willing to serve. None were super eager to serve. Many of them were drafted into serving. John Adams is, a, is I think, a, a fine point. I think Jefferson is a fine point. Um, I mean, they still have people like Alexander Hamilton who were kind of professional politicians of the day. And, you know, keep in mind, uh, some of the, the negative rhetoric you see today had its foundation in, in, in this time frame. And it was much worse back then than it was today because there was essentially no filter back then. But my concern is we're simply not capable in some respects, and our, and our elected politicians aren't capable in some respects of really, how would you say it, uh, of understanding the law, the politics, the philosophy, the, the social aspects of these things. I mean, I look at the quote that appeared in the Journal-Constitution from Josh McCoon, who's a Alabama, University of Alabama-educated lawyer. Maybe that explains a great deal. <laughs> um, and he is the leading now, currently, he's the leading anti-immigrant in the state legislature here in Georgia. Um, and so you, you think about the statements he talks about about these kids. A, does not, and B, do not add up to C to him. They don't. You can't get to where he's at following a logical progression, uh, it, and and yet he's down there uh, making laws. He's down there leading the charge on a lot of the uh, a lot of the truly bad legislation, things like in-state tuition, thinking about taking driver license away from these kids. So it is to me, uh, it's just disturbing to see politicians who are either unable or unwilling to make smart choices in the face of negative consequences who are willing to stand up to the least informed among us and say, let me help you understand why I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to say, well, just because it's right. Uh, we're we're going to do it uh, because it is um, and here, and then lay out the, 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 the logical societal state legitimacy reasons why we would do something like that. And you just don't see that in your politicians, do you? You, you just don't see it. Uh, well, the politician today has one thing on his mind. Re-election. Re-election. I mean, the, the career politician is all they're, really, all they're really concerned about. So whichever way the wind blows. And, you know, and the unfortunate part about that is that hurts people like these kids uh, who really have done nothing wrong. They, there's this one young man, Jaime Arangal. Jaime is up in Dalton taking one or two classes at a time. He didn't know till he was 16 that he wasn't a U.S. citizen. He didn't know. I have kids who graduate from high school and only upon graduation finding out that they're undocumented. They literally grew up, they don't speak decent enough Spanish to even go to their home country and, and go participate in the education system. So it's, it's just, the way I see this 
is that these politicians are simply punishing these kids, punishing children. And I think we need to reframe this debate, that this denial of in-state tuition at a time when the Board of Regents has publicly said we don't have enough students in some of our colleges and universities, so we're going to invite out-of-state kids from neighboring states to pay in-state tuition at these colleges and universities and then deny the same right to Georgia residents, and these are Georgia residents, okay, by every definition of Georgia residents, not do the same thing because of their immigration status. It's just, it's it's morally wrong. It's morally repugnant. You've got to add one other thing to it. I'd be happy to. You've got your politicians, but they're propelled and their inaccurate opinions are propelled by a very biased media. The media plays a large part in this because the media, for the most part, and then talking about the English Spanish media is not, but the English media is ignorant of this issue. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the next segment of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, I don't know if you know it or not, but immigration is becoming an important part of the national debate again. You know, it's funny. One of the funniest things that ever happened to me is uh, when I was a young lawyer and I decided to focus exclusively on immigration law, and all these old lawyers said, what do you do that for? I mean, we dealt with the immigration issue. That's, that's a dead issue. <laughs> and here we are. David, now we've been doing this show since, what, at least 2010? So yeah. it's been about five, maybe six years at this point? Oh, it's been longer than that, oh, actually. That. Uh, we've been doing it since uh, 08. 08. So yeah. really during the last, the last two elections, right? And what's funny is... And, and I couldn't tra- convince you not to vote for Obama. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... Uh, my choices were limited. <laughs> choices were limited on that. I didn't. I, fool me once, fool me twice. I'm okay. So I didn't do it a second time. Um, but my choice was limited. When when you nominate the stupidest person in America to be your vice president, that disqualifies you from the presidency. <laughs> period. Uh, you see the articles yesterday tracing back the current Republican problems to McCain picking Palin as his vice president. Fascinating article. <laughs> Fascinating article. And I believe completely true. Uh, but we talked about immigration as an issue nationally in the 08 elections. Uh, 
We talked about how it affected that election. We talked about it again in 2012. I said repeatedly, unless the GOP gets on board, unless Mitt Romney changes his policy on this and his statements, he's going to lose. And sure enough, he lost. Well, I am bold enough to make a prediction again, but this time I am backed up by Republican and conservative pundits saying if you nominate somebody like a Trump or a Cruz or a Carson who are anti-immigrant, who are whether they, they oh I'm not anti-immigrant, I'm not a bigot, whatever. When you're what, and the reality doesn't matter. What you think you are doesn't matter. It's perception that matters. And you, when you say stuff that demonizes Mexicans, all Mexicans, not just undocumented Mexicans, but all Mexicans, you lose the, the Hispanic vote. You're just gone. So here's my prediction. Okay, I want you to write this down, Dan. Hillary Clinton wins with her vice president, Martin O'Malley, or... Who's the dude from Texas? One of, one, of the, one of the twins, one of the Latino twins. The presidential election going away. 350 electoral votes. 350. Hillary's going to win if she's not indicted. Uh, <laughs> the chance of her getting indicted, what, what would you say the chance of her getting indicted by the Obama Justice Department is? Zero, exactly. So you can hold your breath all you want. The reality is... She's going to win the election. Now, if you nominate, and that's true even if you nominate like a Rubio, mostly because Marco Rubio looks like he's 12 years old and has no formative opinions. He doesn't. He doesn't have any opinions about anything. He tests, he's like Clinton in that. Hold her finger up to the air. And Sanders is going after Clinton on this, but it won't stick. Because people named Reagan the Teflon president, the Clintons are the titanium couple. (laughs) Nothing sticks to these people. Nothing at all. All right, But Rubio is far too young to be elected president, and the GOP would be as foolish as Democrats were electing a 44-, 45-year-old first-term senator who doesn't show up to vote. Who's the last senator whose record rivals Marcos Rubio's in not voting? Can you name that person? Obama. Oh, president Barack Obama. Exactly right. He hated the Senate. It was too slow. I mean, they have rocket, their ambition is fueled by rocket fuel. But I don't think his intellect is. I don't think he's there. I don't think he's got the juice to do it. Um, now, they elect somebody more mature, like a, like a Bush or a Kasich, they, they nominate him. They got a chance against Hillary, and, unless their rhetoric turns sour. But you know the problem with the GOP, if they, if they nominate a Bush or a Rubio, who's not going to vote? The Republicans. Republicans won't vote. <laughs> they won't show up. Just like they didn't show up for Romney. Well, they showed up for Romney in massive numbers. That's just not enough. Now, they might get some crossover Latino vote, but it's not going to be enough because that far right's going to say, screw it, I don't support this guy either. Or, I'm gonna, or they're going to vote Libertarian. By the way, is Bob Barr running again? <laughs> I have no idea. We should see if we get Bob Barr on the show. That'd be kind of fun to get Bob Barr on our show. Uh, the last candidate for president of the United States. I voted for Bob Barr, by the way, uh, in the last election. Um, so the, 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 the forces of good and evil on immigration go back and forth. Uh, now, did you hear about the Donald Trump rally this last weekend, where they dread? There was a there was a series of immigration protesters at his rally. I think it was I think it was in Miami. Shocking, right? Pro immigration rally in Miami. At the, at the, uh, Trump supporters literally physically dragged the protesters out of the rally. Physically dragged them out. 
Yeah, that's and, and did that get covered in the mainstream media? No, no. Well, which media covered that? The Latino media covered it. Hmm. Ran, at, and it was all videotaped, right? Ran with it while Trump is and Trump is saying, "Get them out of here!" Wow, wow, yeah. So what's going to happen now? Marco Rubio is trying to establish himself as a serious candidate, which is really hard when you look like you're 13 years old. Uh, first thing, if I'm his advisor, I say, let's gray up the sides a little bit. Gray up the sides. It's not going to hurt you to gray up the sides a little bit. Maybe get, maybe put him out in the sun for a couple days. Get some wrinkles <laughs> or something in there. Do something to look older. I mean, David, look at him. I mean, come on. Oh, it's running for college uh, president. He's looking, he, that's a great analogy. He acts like and he looks like he's running for president of Florida State. Okay. Um, by the way, when's the last time we had a president who wasn't from Yale and Harvard? <laughs> I guess Reagan would be that it, right? Reagan would be that that, that president. Um, I don't think I don't think he's from there, but he just, you know, I, to me, it just looks like he's just too young. It'd be like voting for my little brother who has gray hair for president. I just can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, but he is attacking attacking Donald Trump on, on immigration. Um, and he says that the way Trump speaks about immigration is absurd and question whether the real estate mogul actually believes his own rhetoric. His rhetoric is a little louder, but if you think about the position on immigration six months ago, his position on immigration six months ago is nothing like his position on immigration now, even when he's saying now borders on, borders on the absurd. So we all know that Donald's not going to be the nominee. So, David, do you have a favorite yet? Among the GOP candidates. No. Anybody who strikes your fancy, wow, this guy, I'm going to give him money. No, Nobody there yet. Now, David, have you given money to, to politicians before? Yeah. yeah as, as have I. Uh, and what, what is your criteria for giving money? Well, I think it's the same as everybody's. Uh, I have no political gains. Uh, politicians not going to – I can't buy one. It's not going right. to help me if I did. So uh, what are my my criterion is it that uh, I like what they say. Unfortunately, there there used to be a time that I could say I like what they say and what they stand for and generally make it an overall thing. Because you know you can't I mean you're never going to agree with everybody 100%, no. right? Mm. But now it's it's even worse than that. It's it's you almost have to take sound bites of what you like and what you don't like. And uh, so no, I'm I'm Nobody out there? Nobody out there. I guess Lincoln Chafee's gone, so there was your primary candidate, <laughs> uh, just out of the way. Um, and the Dems are down to three now, right? Yeah. Bernie, well, Hillary, and, and Martin. They're down. They, they've always been down to one. Oh, yeah. There's never never a chance. I think O'Malley's really running for vice president. Uh, but we'll see how much he attacks Hillary next thing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on the Internet that uh, Hillary is going to pick. The Castro, one of the Castro boys. Yeah. Wouldn't that be hilarious if we had a president named Castro? Wouldn't that be hilarious? He could get along with Castro, but hey, we're family. Except one's Mexican and one's Cuban. <laughs> They're kind of different. Um, but I, to, to see the march forward, I, I, there's a debate tomorrow night. And, and, it's, and I think the first two debates were personality debates. They weren't because they didn't talk about anything. They were, they were, you said this, you said that, you did this, you did that. This debate is run by CNBC. So it's a business debate, and it's about economics. 
I'm really this is so this is a substantive debate. It's only about economics. I'm really curious to hear somebody like a Ben Carson, who apparently has no policies on on his website, or Trump on his website about economic revitalization or jobs. Think about the the the, pro, the presidential election four years ago. What was the topic? Jobs, jobs, jobs. And these guys mentioned they mentioned jobs. Does Trump ever mention the word jobs? Yeah, he does. Oh, how does? It, well, we're going to deport the immigrants so that you can have their jobs. That that how it is? No, no. He uh, he wants to bring back jobs from uh, that have been turned over to China. From uh, he wants to bring back U.S. Wait, wait a second. I, I thought he was a capitalist. He is a capitalist. Well, how how do you order people to bring back jobs if you have? A, is that a demand economy? You're, you're describing demand economy. Dem- you're describing socialist. So so you're you're saying that Donald Trump is a socialist. Because he wants to order people to bring... Because that's Bernie Sanders' position. So Trump and Sanders have the same position on this. No, no, no. Wait a second, David. Wait a second. You can't back off this now. I didn't say mandate. Well, then how's he going to do it? You know, you can... uh, There are a lot of ways that you can skin a cat. Yeah, but has he said even one? No. I'm making it more... um, I'm not going to argue. Well, no, but think Uh, about this, David. If he says... And I don't disagree. We'd love to have more manufacturing jobs in America... But if we truly believe in well, a capitalist I, I, society... I, if, if you truly believe in a capitalist society, the one way that you can bring back a lot of jobs, you can start a lot of jobs, is to kill that damn EPA. Well, and I mean, I like, to breathe, I like to breathe clean air, David. I mean, know. I don't know about... You know, my, I want my grandkids to breathe clean air. I have no problem with the EPA. EPA is not a problem. EPA is not costing anybody any jobs. They're just not. Oh, you mean if we could pollute like China, we'd have jobs back here? I'd rather keep the jobs in China, no. honestly. And, and I think this is where you're, you know, the thing, the restrictions that they've put on companies have been absolutely ludicrous. Like what? The EPA, on, like on uh, the amount of oil that we can pump, the amount of gas. That's been lifted. That, pardon? Obama lifted that. They're pumping all the oil they want now. They're going to export the oil. Obama okay. lifted that like three or four weeks ago. We could begin then exporting how, oil. How come uh, our... Our oil prices are so depressed, and we can't start up. I got to. Well, because there's too much oil in in the world, is why. But if we, yeah, there's too much oil. That oil prices are depressed because there's too much oil. It's capitalism, supply and demand. There's too much supply because the Saudis say, "Screw you, America. We're going to pump until we're dry, Uh, even if it costs us our entire economy. We're going to drive you to bankruptcy." American producers are going. Well, we'll just make it cheaper to keep dumbing. Pumping more oil is not going to create 10 billion jobs in America. I mean, those, there's infrastructure jobs. You know what creates jobs in America? Rebuilding our highways and freeways. How about we do that? Now that's socialist. Yeah, well, so Eisenhower was a socialist. The Talking about giving government jobs? Eisenhower was a socialist. No, it's government spending money for the common good, which is what the government's supposed to exist for. The common defense, the common good. Make America... Uh, able to help everybody. Roads and bridges do that. I mean, that's what that's what I want to pay my taxes for. I'd rather do that than pay taxes to, to support a, you know somebody on welfare for two years. I mean, but the, the problem is we don't have these leaders, these guys in the Republican primary, they don't have any ideas. At least the leaders don't. Trump and Carson have no ideas. We're going to bring back jobs. How are you going to do that? I mean, that's the question. Answer the question. How? If you, I think Bush has got a plan. I think Kasich has got a plan. But these other guys don't have a plan. They don't even steal the good plans. There's what's plans the, what's out Kasich's there. What's Kasich's plan? I have no idea, but it's on his website. I saw it. <laughs> I didn't read it, though. It's on his plan. 
Look, you lower taxes. That's you know one one reason companies are abroad because it's cheaper tax wise. You lower taxes to get to get that money back, and then you then you make it more economical to be in the United States. Let's take our final break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. David, we're back with our final hour on the most listened to podcast in the known universe of immigration. Hour? Hour. The Immigration Hour. Our podcast. Well, you're helping me here, David. I appreciate that. Um, are you right that our down. Next, right our, our next 13 minutes. It's the godlike we. <laughs> it's the godlike we. Um, so, as we move forward here on the, on the politics of immigration, our friends of the Immigration Service are also doing things. Now, David, I wrote a blog a couple weeks ago that got... Uh, some negative feedback from some lawyers. And I know I was shocked by this, but uh, uh, it involves the lawsuit in the Fifth Circuit. Now, we talked extensively uh, in the summertime uh, in July about the lawsuit on DAPA brought by the Texas uh, uh, Governor and Attorney General along with you know 26 other Republican states, uh, whereby they're trying to stop the implementation of DAPA on the, on the reason that Obama didn't implement regulations. Now, I wrote an article right after that case came out. said Obama can fix this right away. All right? And this was back in last summer. Obama can publish the reg. Oh, it'll take too long. If Obama had done that in February, what would be going on today? DAPA. If Obama had published regs in February, today we would have DAPA in effect. Obama didn't do it. Shame on Obama. Two, the he had a golf. He had a golf game. You know, he it's, it's a, it was an easy reg, just like DACA. It was an easy reg. Could have done it. He didn't do it. Didn't do it. And then the lawsuit goes away. The lawsuit's gone. It's history. But no, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Why? I don't think he really wants it. Don't think he really wants it. Or he wants to test the limit of presidential power or whatever crap. Rather than helping people, he could have fixed that. Now let's go to the Fifth Circuit. So in the first appeal, which is an appeal to preliminary injunction, um, the Court of Appeals in the Fifth Circuit ruled on that case in three weeks, upheld the preliminary injunction. Permanent injunctions entered, they appealed the permanent injunction. Um, and that were arguments July 15th, or July 10th, I forget what it was. We're now end of October, August, September, October, three months, more than three and a half months, no decision from the court. Two of the same judges are the same. 
They're the same two judges that ruled against Obama the first time. So there's only two reasons that I can see, and I wrote a blog about this, why this case is being delayed this long. Only two reasons. One, they're changing their mind. And they can't figure out how to do it. And not look like fools in their in the view in the mind of the of the states. Or traitors. They can't figure it out. That's one option. I mean you agree, that's one option, right? So what's the only other option? They're delaying it to to disable Obama's ability to appeal it to the Supreme Court while he's still president and get us get an answer while he's still president. Politics. He's delaying it because of politics. Now, I, I got in trouble with that. I, you're, you're accusing the judges of playing politics. Yes. Yes, I am. I am. Uh, and we will see when the decision finally comes out. Um, the Supreme Court started its term October 1st. If the Fifth Circuit had ruled on this case before October 1st, they could have appealed at this term. But the later we get into the Supreme Court's term, the harder it is for to do at this term because of briefing schedules and or argument schedules, decision schedules. And, I, and I've, stuff I've read, it looks like the middle of November, maybe the end of November, is the last time this case could appeal and be heard in this term of the court. And be heard in this term of the court. Because uh, the court has all its decisions out by the end of June of next year. So if it did get published before, let's say this, this let's say Friday, and they lose, which they're, they're going to do, um, and Obama appeals right away, Supreme Court will likely take the case because of its political importance, and they will issue a decision on the case next summer, in, in next June, end of June. If they rule in Obama's favor, which I believe they will, then you will have this volatile immigration issue at the forefront of what? Presidential election season. It'll, it'll overwhelm everything else. Now, for Hillary, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because the Republican nominee is going to have to demonize it, chase away Latino votes, and thus mandatorily lose the election. Period. I mean, math is, math is easy in this context. Math is easy. Some will dispute me, but math is easy. Um, now, if they wait to rule on it until after Obama, let's say it's in January, Obama can appeal it right away, but it won't be heard this term, likely won't be heard this term, which means they'll hear it, they'll begin here, maybe oral arguments, within the month before the election. Again, a huge political issue. Huge political issue. So what turned out, what Obama could have avoided... And this is a political issue for the Obama administration, too. Maybe they don't want a decision quickly. Maybe this is all a plan. Let's keep Latinos tangling in front of us. Hey, we're the party that uh, did, did DAPA, and the, the mean old Republicans stopped it, and you should vote for us. Here we are. Even though I could have solved this by just publishing the DAPA regs last February, and they would have been in effect by October. So, you know, it's really, to me, troubling uh, that I think the Fifth Circuit is playing politics on this, and it plays right into, and I think the Obama administration is playing politics on this. Um, and I, I'm really um, um, concerned uh, that uh, this was, and this is, and remains a volatile political issue because it, it distracts us what I think can be issues that we can resolve and go forward on. Um, but David, I mean, you know Jerry, right? Jerry Smith, your buddy. He's oh, one of these judges. 
Um, I knew Jerry growing up. And okay. I can't say we're buddies you're not today. Buddies. Okay, you're not buddies. Okay. No, I, he and I were classmates together. Okay. Have you have you written to me? I'm like, say, hey, you know, I, I know this guy. He he sounds really persuasive. Maybe you should talk to him about this case. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just kind of uh, disturbed that we don't have a decision. The Obama administration, though, um, is uh, continuing to deport people. They are. Do you remember, do you remember the, a couple weeks ago we talked about Dilly and uh, the detention center for families, and that the judge in Washington had ordered the Obama administration as of October 20th to stop detaining women and children longer than 20 days. Guess what the Obama administration did? They ignored that, and they're still detaining women and children longer than 20 days. So. Is yeah, Obama but, but breaking they let the law? Lois Lerner go. Well, Lois Lerner was never going to get indicted, honestly. And they'll, honestly. Let, they'll let Hillary Hillary go. Hillary's not going to get indicted either. <laughs> and they feel free to ignore a federal judge's warning, not order. Fascinating to me. And I feel compelled to do that. Uh, and tragic for the families. I have a lot of friends that are serving in Dilly, that have been to Dilly. The conditions there are horrific, David, really horrific. Um, Children having nothing to do all day long. No effective schools, no effective child care. Uh, food is terrible. Uh, televisions are, you know, limited in what these kids can do. I mean, really, it's, it's going to have long-term effects on these kids, and, and that is problematic. Problematic. Um, and I am just, you know, people, if people aren't disillusioned with the Obama presidency from before... They should certainly be disillusioned now. They don't know. It's true. Did you see any news reports that Obama's ignoring this order? No. Huh. You would think 60 Minutes would be all over this. The Obama administration ignoring a federal court order and keeping children detained in a private prison. Wow. Uh, it just stuns me that there is not more attention paid to this. It just stuns me. It just stuns me. You know, and the comeback is, who cares? Well, you know, they're just they're, they're illegal immigrants. Who cares? These are actually all asylum seekers, by the way. The people in, like the people in Syria going to Europe. These are the same type of people. These are the same type of people, and it just just so frustrating, just so monumentally frustrating that we're dealing with it, with it like this. It's really just crazy and sad and tragic, and um, it makes you want to have a new president right away. But unfortunately. We don't do coups in America, <laughs> so we have to wait. I did notice some crazy talk that Obama's going to suspend the election some magically somehow, uh, and he's going to remain king. I don't know if you've seen that. David. And he's going to what? He's going to become king. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Um, my question is, why would you do that when you become an ex-president and get rich? Because every, every ex-president becomes rich. Apparently, Jeb Bush, even ex-governors, become rich. <laughs> so why would you want to stay in office where you're not rich? Can you, so you can order the military around? <laughs> Whatever. Um, so I do appreciate people on the far right coming up with the kooky reasons to get rid of Obama and be scared, but the reality is we should be more scared of the American electorate who puts people in office who don't understand the consequences of doing so. So, David, there you go. There you go. Um, the rest of this week we will be on next week. I'll be here, David. No, no, I'm sorry, I forgot. David, I'm going to Brazil. To the great, vast wilderness of Rio de Janeiro. Ah. 
and Iguazu Falls. I have a speaking engagement at the at the American Immigration Lawyers um, uh, Latin American Chapter Conference. And I'll be talking about 50 ways to lose your green card. <laughs> so we're going to go down and have, and have a great week and uh, enjoy ourselves there. So I'll, I will miss the show next week. I do apologize, David. Um, but uh, looking forward to coming back in two weeks and talking about Rio, maybe even having a garden update by then. A garden update. Garden update. We're going to be it's time to buy some manure and get that stuff in the ground this Saturday. So, until then, everybody have a great week. Uh, we appreciate you listening to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. If you have any questions or comments, you can email David at david at americaswebradio.com or me at chuck at immigration.net. Until two weeks, we'll be in touch. Have a great week. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.